Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm you. I'm real. I'm not a cat. This is Rock and Roll. So hello and welcome to the second week of our Six Nations Rock and Roll podcast. Joining me as usual, we've got Ryan Wally. How are you doing, well? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. Quiet day at work, but apart from that, all good. Nothing new for you there. Quiet day at work. And joining us, a man who's been called walk even more than me, but he sings a better sea shanty. Host <laughs> of the Scottish Rugby Podcast, Cami Black is with us. How are you doing, Cami? Good evening, gents. You okay? Yeah, very good, mate. Very good. Thank you. Better than me, I was going to say, is how you'll be doing after the weekend. <laughs> I was going to say, have you noticed how he's become more upbeat as, a, as these two wins have rolled in? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to show you sort of behind the curtain and drop a minute at all, and I wasn't going to mention this, but I think you were a bit carried away on Saturday because you started talking about Grand Slams as well in a group chat that we were in. I, I, did, I did, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's hard. You know, you're talking about Ryan, are you? I was talking about Ryan. Um, well, I, was, I was getting carried away as well, you see. <laughs> I think I was... the difference was you were on a high going into the tournament whereas he was talking about us losing to Italy. <laughs> two teams of 14 men and he was talking about a Grand Slam Zoom call. <laughs> Grand... Can a red can red cards win a Grand Slam? Well, it's working all right for us so far. <laughs> People say that the pivot did wasn't innovative enough for international level, but I think very much his new plan of only playing against 14 men is paying off. So... It's something I've never seen an international coach try before, and you've got to say that it's two from two. <laughs> so we uh, will dive straight in then, being as we've uh, we've gone into it. Shall we dive straight in with the the controversial one, the turning point, that moment, yeah. that, that yes. red card? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a red card, and and there's not really any argument about that at all. I haven't got any argument about it being a red. Um, well, I watched it back today in a bit more detail. Um, what's interesting is it, uh, it's possibly Xander Ferguson's fault anyway, because in that rook, you've got Stuart Hogg and Ali Price. 
I think Chris Harris might be there on the fringes, but you've got Stuart Hogg trying to lift a prop off the ball and it's Scotland's attack and Rook. So Ferguson has to come in at speed to clear. Is it Wynne Jones that yeah, was over yeah. the ball, isn't it? Yeah. So he, has to, he has to come in at speed and clear him off because Stuart Hogg was doing a, a reasonable job, but he's, Scotland were about to be pinged for holding on. But why, why he is in that position so far away from the Rook in the first place, leaving two backs in there to deal with it, is is the is the big issue? So he's left with no option other than to come charging in. Now you could also say that nine times out of ten, well, probably about fifteen twenty times a game of rugby that happens. Is he got a forward coming in at pace, clearing somebody out over the ball, and he's got caught and fair play. But the number of times, I and mean, even in that game, there were other times from both sides. And you know, like Scotland did it as well. I think Alan Jones caught one as uh, one point possibly off Hamish Watson. I think. Um, you're not going to get pulled up for it. And when you watch it back, he clips the head, but he's coming in at pace with, and, and when you're coming in at pace, you've got no control and it's not, there's no intent. He's not aiming for the head, but when you're coming in recklessly, there's, there's that risk that you are going to hit the head. You are going to come in wrong. So it, it was a red card, but you know, the red card happened because Scotland had no forwards at that ruck. And had no forwards anywhere near that ruck. So they've only got themselves to blame. Now, Xander Ferguson is one of the players that arrives at rooks for Scotland, attacking rooks repeatedly. So he's probably just found himself out of position. Yeah, I, I completely agree with it. There's no intent at all. He hasn't come in there and sort of, I know his arm position isn't great, but obviously he's coming in to sort of give him a bit. Of, and like you say, you see it so many times that if we go in by the letter of the law, the ruck, we'd never complete a ruck, every one of them's apparently, because there's always someone, come. no one's coming in, binding on and clearing a player out. No player jackling that ball, even when they get the penalty, are always on their feet. I think there's always someone infringing somewhere at the ruck. It is nice to see them being consistent on it, at least, because it is similar to the Peter Romani one, and apparently they were all told before the tournament started that this was the area they were going to clamp down on, which is understandable with it being sort of the showpiece and with everything going on around the game at the minute and the legal battle that's about to commence. So it is at least nice to see them being consistent. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, the, the difference with the Peter Romani one, I think, is that he does come in a lot faster and he comes in a lot higher and, and it's a bit more reckless. It'd be interesting to see what happens to the hearings Tuesday night. So we're delaying our podcast by next. We're kind of interested to talk about it after the the actual hearing itself. So I think with Peter Romani, they went in at six weeks, which is the mid point. And it's, I think it depends what offence they go with, but I think they'll go with charging at a rook, which seems to be what um, they went with Peter Romani rather than contact with the head. So potentially, if, if he's lucky, they go in at the lower entry for Xander Ferguson. Yeah, he's clipped the head, but they could go at two weeks, which is the low entry. 50% off for good behaviour. Glasgow Warriors have got a game at the weekend and all of a sudden he's in. He's starting, starting against France. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm being maybe being slightly optimistic there, but the, you know, the, I think there's probably an argument for it going into the lower end for Xander Ferguson over the Peter Romani one. And, you know, maybe not looking at that too bad a ban, maybe. Worst case, can they not use this new uh, bullshit thing a team seem to be using where you just arrange friendlies midweek to clear that ban out of the way? Well, yeah, if the Ulster, Glasgow Ulster game gets... Uh, Gets gets cancelled, then that's what we'll do. We'll just have another yeah. Ember Glasgow A game where 
just chuck one on a Saturday, one on a Tuesday, one on a Thursday, and then he's back for fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> does he does he do charity work at all? Because that will help as well. Um, I, I, he used to be a choir boy, so I think that 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 entitles him to seventy five percent off the tariff. Okay, I'll I'll Photoshop another one because I done one for Johnny the other week. Didn't I, with, uh, with Richie, <laughs> Jamie Ritchie, Jamie Ritchie, wasn't it? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, do, he, I'll do one that you can put on his Instagram because that's the new in on Vogue as well to make it look like you're innocent. He also <laughs> plays, um, I think he plays bassoon or something, Zander Ferguson. <laughs> and his brother plays something ridiculous like the piccolo, right? And it's not it's not Matt Ferguson, but they've got this younger brother who's who's like massive. And I think he's a teenager. I think, I think he's possibly a rugby player as well. I don't know, I don't know whether he's a prospect for the future. I don't know much about him other than that he's younger and he plays the piccolo and I've seen pictures of him and he's absolutely massive. So he's a massive lad going around playing something ridiculous like a piccolo. <laughs> this is how um, players' names get misconstrued as with rumours like these where they thought that they, they're big fans, their fathers were big fans of folk singers and bassoon players and <laughs> all other kinds of instruments. <laughs> You've got to be careful of these rumours. Um. Abish Watson, a little bit fiery in his press conference after what he called it rubbish, and he since backtracked and said that player safety is obviously paramount. How, how do we feel about that one first? I think, it's, and it's not just him, it's, it's Warburton as well, because they've both come out and apologised and said that what they'd said initially was incorrect and they shouldn't have said what they did and they backtracked on their, on their comments. At the end of the day, I just think... It's him in the press conference after a game, after a test match that they're trying to win, after a test match that they probably could have and should have won. Um, and it's, it's just the emotions of it. I think, obviously, in hindsight, he's looked back and realised that what he said was incorrect. It's the same with Warburton. <clears throat> Live on the on the commentary, he turned around and said that it's a rugby incident and he thinks it's harsh. And then on, on the um, highlight show yesterday, he apologised and obviously said, no, I was wrong, I watched it back, and it is a red card. So it's just the emotion of it. Both players... Wanted wanted their team to win, um, obviously, <clears throat> and it's just the way it goes. I think the, the interesting thing with him is Watson. He's not actually asked, "Was it a red card?" The question mm. he gets asked is, "Are you all <laughs> going to gather around Xander Ferguson now?" So I mean, you know, his, his media training brain kicks in, and he says, "Yeah, we're, all the boys are going to gather around Xander, and we'll give him a. He's a big lad; he can cope. He'll be fine, kind of thing." But, but we don't answer and say, "That's not rugby. That's ridiculous." What's and I was saying today on Twitter, and I got quite a bit of backlash, backlash from it. I know we kind of chatting about it on, on the group chat that, that I'm in with you guys as well, that uh, it's kind of refreshing to see someone speaking passionately and openly after a game like that. And yeah, he's wrong. I don't agree with him at all. It's, you know, to the head. I, I, but, but you know, I think the some of the reaction, and I, I know it's mainly come from down in Wales, and I think Wales Online have played their part in that in the way yeah. they've maybe amplified it. Um, but... You know, we, we I don't think we should be too quick to condemn players for speaking their minds post-match because otherwise all you're going to get is it was a hard game today and the boys did well. And how many times do we hear it and think, well, what that doesn't tell us anything. So it's, it was actually nice to hear a player speaking passionately after a game. And yeah, we don't agree with him. And that's fine. He's come out and he's said, I got it wrong. What I'd rather have had him say today is, it was the heat of the post-match. I think, you know, he, he, he's taken ownership of it, but I think he also maybe needed to take a little bit of ownership of how he was feeling at the time. Yeah. Because, you know, I was a bit upset at the time, and, that, and that's how I felt at that time. But uh, but actually, you know, on reflection, no, I'm not going to do that. My worry is now, I think, I don't think 
Hamish Watson will give the same post-match reactions now. I don't think he'll be stuck up for post-match for a couple of weeks now by the SRU. I think he'll probably be sent on some sort of refresher course <laughs> for post-match <laughs> interviews. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what people want. What's the alternative? And the alternative is, and you know, the SRU are notoriously closed off when it comes to media access, and that's that's an open kind of secret in Scotland that they control it very closely at Murrayfield. And you're heading to a point where you're going to have nothing but media-controlled sports teams. You see that, you know, when Newcastle United did it. And and you've got to ask, is that something we want? Do we want just, you know, the the lines being peddled out at the end of the match and that's all the journalists have got to report? And I think it'd be a shame if we did. So I think it's fine to disagree with Hamish Watson's post-match comments. I'm uncomfortable with him being condemned for them in the way that he has been. People saying he should be banned because he criticised the referee. I don't think that's a route we want to go down. No. no. And again, it's another one of these typical bullshit rugby values. He's can't criticise. Like, he's unhappy with it. I think he's right to You know, he's got an opinion. He's fine to hear that opinion. He's not the first player who's come out and said it. And, you know, he's certainly less explosive than the, the Liam Williams one on the pitch. So I I know people did come out and condemn and I was one of the ones who said, you know, that you can't say the way that he said it especially. But I don't remember Wales Online calling for bans or I don't remember people in Wales calling for extra bans and extra weeks for Liam Williams saying it. It was just, you know, a bit of a silly boy was he said that for. There does seem to be a bit of a gap as well between us as supporters and and the steps that rugby want to be making and where some of the players are with regards to to head injuries, which I think is going to cause could cause a little bit of trouble further down the line because they seem to be a little bit more laid back about it. They 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 sort of are worried about that contact and then losing the game, perhaps. I think that comes down to I think you Cammy, you made a point I think today on Twitter about um, obviously if Ferguson gets sent off, but but. Win Jones, does he necessarily need to have a HIA? Because that's probably something we need to look at. Because although we may not have effects there and then, potentially he needs to have one to check just in case. Because we don't know what it's going to what's going to happen ten minutes into the game, fifteen minutes tomorrow, etc. Um, it's a good point you made earlier. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was it was on our Scottish Rugby blog account. So it was Rory that tweeted it, and he was just kind of asking, "Is is that something we should do?" I know um, Josh from Blood and Mud was saying he didn't necessarily agree with it. I, th- I think when it, I thought about it, and I think it, you're probably right. I think it probably is something that needs to be looked at. If, but it's where do you stop? I suppose if it's head on head or arm to head, and it's and it's a big hit, I think you probably are looking at someone going and having an HIA. And it doesn't. Maybe it, what we need to have like an HIA, a lighter HIA, where they don't have to go actually leave the the pitch and go to the changing room and have the full kind of baseline tests that they would have. But just maybe a kind of right. You need to have two minutes at the sidelines with the doctor just to kind of do almost the pre HIA. Like, is there anything? Of concern that would lead you to to to, to do that, mm. you know, to, to take them down the tunnel. It needs some sort of review, I think, if there is head contact, um, because if if we are protecting players, um, then and there's, there's there's any contact with the head, then it needs to be door checked. Mm. I think the other thing, like you were saying, Grab, the 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 other issue, I suppose with it is protecting players from themselves. And I think it's interesting that Sam Warburton and Hamish Watson who said that's you know this this that's not rugby and it shouldn't be a red card offence. You think about what they do with their bodies, you think about the way the positions they get themselves into, that's their bread and butter, is that kind of play. And and getting themselves in those positions, they they almost revel in it. 
that's something they, they love to do. And and I think that there is an element of they need to be saved from themselves sometimes. Mm. Well, I just you know, they said Warbur that made a career off it essentially was that the one thing that he was known for was his ability to put his body on the line and get into positions. I had a Pocock, I remember, training in the bloody gymnastics gym so that he could build his flexibility so he could bend himself into shapes to play the ball. So, yeah, it is a bit with Sam coming. But then you look at Sam as well, and he's a, he's a broken man when you watch, yeah. that, watch that documentary on the BBC and he can't walk down three steps from the, mm. the broadcasting bus because he's, his body's so battered. So it's one of those. And it is, I say, sort of where do you draw the line? What becomes... It's not an easy problem to solve. We all know what the issues are. It's how we solve those issues that are the, the major thing. I don't subscribe either to the bring back rucking. You <laughs> see how it's going to change anything. They go, let's do like we did in the 80s when everyone couldn't get themselves into those positions anyway. Well, there's yeah. been a, a few run ins with uh, ex players from bygone eras over the past couple of weeks. I, I don't know what I don't know why you. I mean, I don't think there's any a problem necessarily that needs to be solved at the minute, other than it needs to be policed better. Mm. And that's you know the whichever way you try to solve it. And I can't remember who it was. Somebody posted an article um, where there was a, an ex coach talking about this. And you look at any which way you look at it, that it changes the game fundamentally. Actually, probably what we've got at the minute is the closest you're going to get to you know something workable within the game where there is competition at the breakdown i mean maybe the only thing i was thinking today is do you limit the number of people in a ruck is the only potential thing i think you could do but i i don't know whether that then leaves players more exposed mm. i don't know whether as well referees have just got to be a little bit quicker on that call that if there's a player on that ball and their hands are on it and they're trying to pick it up then you try yeah. before someone comes in they oh you stop that player coming in and you've lost it it's gone yeah, I'm pleased you've said that. So, 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 so we can straight away agree that that should have been a penalty at the the dying minutes with Chris Harris over the ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is the thing. I, the number of times on Saturday we, I, and again, both teams. It's not like the ref is giving one yeah. where there's a player on the ball and he's given them four, five seconds before then saying, "No, oh, you've been cleared out." Well, yeah, because he's been under that ball for so long <laughs> that I've not been able to rip it out of his gut. And maybe it's not four or five seconds, but it's certainly, you know, long it feels that way when you're sort of watching a game or if you're the player over that ball. So maybe referees have just got to be a little bit quicker on calling that because if either calls Win Jones there as he's won it or you've got to move away from that, mm. he doesn't need to come in to clear that player out because either you've secured possession or you've lost possession. So by coming in and, and dropping your shoulder to clear that man out, but it is a, a fine line because a lot of the, like rugby's built on cheating as far as I'm concerned. And so slowing that ball down at the ruck is a major part of that game. Like it's about the only thing I can do well when I'm playing. So <laughs> I sway back and forth on it. Cause I think I agree. I think from the, for, for a neutral or a non-rugby fan, what they need is consistency and officiating so they can understand the game. But I think part of, the joy of rugby for me is that teams have to adapt. So no, no two games are the same because you have to adapt to how the referees officiate in the breakdown and officiate in the scrum. And, and I think therein lies the challenge for coaches and players that you, the, the team that will, the team that generally wins is the team that adapts quickest to the referee on the day. And the, you know, and referees are changeable. I remember that the 2018 Calcutta cup, you know, John Barkley post match saying we've never had Nigel Owens officiate the breakdown like that, and he was basically he was letting us go over the ball and Jacqueline 
turning England over. And we realised we could do that within the first five minutes. So it was pretty much open season for them. But the way they'd prepared was, well, Nigel Lawrence doesn't let you do that. You get you have to be very quick. And if you're not over the ball, then he's not going to let you, you yeah. do it. So uh, for me, that's part of the interest in rugby. But I completely understand from a neutral's point of view, it must be maddening kind of, I think I've got a hang of rugby and then the next match comes along and, and, and your referees just completely you know, interpret everything completely different. Well, it's, it's, it's the same ref, right? It's bad enough that it changes from referee to referee and I'll come on to something else again later. But then when it's the same ref who can't make the bloody mind up, then as you go into that game, go in, you, and it is literally changing game to game. And so I, Wales have always been really poor at adapting to referees and it's where we struggled against Ireland all the time because we couldn't get a grasp on how a breakdown is being refereed. And so we've gone into games and then you know within 10 minutes either we're going to win or lose this. The other interesting thing, or I would even say the most interesting thing to come out of the the Watson uh, press conference was to say it wasn't the red card that that won or lost the game. It was Scotland's response just before and just after half-time. What's your, your feelings on that? Do you want to go with that, Ryan? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be probably ridiculed for this, and because I, um, I pretty much was last week. But there was, there we we played we played we played we played a lot a lot better on Saturday than I thought we were going to. Looking at the, the teams going into it, and <clears throat> played a lot better than the fifth than the first week. But it's the second week running where we played against 14 men, and in my opinion, we should have lost. Um, I thought both games, Ireland and I thought Ireland and Scotland were better than us. I thought um, <clears throat> though that that time where obviously it's a massive, massive call. It's the right call where the ball's been um, just under the post. Where is it? Cummins has gone over, but he's blocked or he's the blocker. Wait, and then wait, that's wait. a that's a massive point because we get a penalty there, and then pretty much soon after, obviously, I think it's I think <clears throat> Hog mentioned it. Was it something like four penalties on the bounce we got from that moment? Whereas mm-hmm. this, then we end up in in your half. Obviously, we get the role. Um, Get the role in more, which we then score from to get Liam Williams's try, and then straight after we get Win Jones's try, and then soon after, obviously after Hogg's try, then it's the red card. So it's just a case of <clears throat> we. I, I, I just think I, I think is a massive uh, midpoint of the game. Either set of half time is massive, but I think we've got away with another one because I don't think we we deserved that win on Saturday. And I don't know what your what your thoughts are. <sighs> I think I, I have to agree with Hamish Watson. I think that Scotland at seventeen three switched off, and Scotland aren't going to become a top class team until they develop a ruthless streak. And and Wales were there to be put to the sword. And it's you know I don't like to land it all with one player, but Gary Graham you know gave away three penalties on Saturday, and it's the highest. I think it's him and Xander Ferguson were both on three penalties. Now one of Xander's is it at scrum time so I kind of always chalk those ones off because I'm never quite sure whose fault it is in the scrum but <laughs> I think with Gary Graham that's that's pretty poor given how well Scotland have done defensively um, Matt Ferguson gave away an early penalty but he didn't give away any more because he kind of adapted to how the referee was reading things but it really did give Wales a lot of confidence but if you look at it you think well you know what is it um, the last Welsh tries like what 68 minutes yeah and then nobody scores any more points after that for the next 12 minutes. So 14 men, and I think we Scotland were pretty much in possession for those last 12 minutes with 14 men. And you kept, yeah, you kept us within the, the kind of halfway and the 10 metre line. 
but there was a couple of moments where like that, the, the, the alley price kicked to nothing, which at the time I had my head in the hands and I didn't know what he was doing, but I haven't watched it back. There was a lot of space between Liam Williams and Lewis Reece Samet there that he'd spotted, but unfortunately the ball bounces up when it hits the ground. Now, if that skids out, all of a sudden we're attacking your line out in, in, in the 22, mm. um, the, the, Finn Russell grubber kick to nothing was ridiculous. But again, even that last minute, you've got the offload, a ridiculous offload to Duhan, who goes down the wing. Liam Williams knocks it backwards. Chris Harris is straight away over the ball. Again, it's a different call. We've got a penalty, and we so it, it's you know it, it's an unusual feeling to be a Scotland fan and be in this position where we're saying actually we've come away in, in every measurable metric. I think we've we won the game apart from on the scoreboard to be part of a game like that as well, like such a, an exciting game as well, it's quite unusual. Normally we're at, we're completely, you know, we're not normally part of those games. We're normally either well beaten or somebody has an off day against us and we, we happen to scrape a win. So it's, it's strange to kind of come away from a loss and actually on reflection think there's a lot of positives there for Scotland. It's just that we, you can't switch off at 73 up. And that's the bottom line. It's, so you talk about those measurables, and when you look at them, they're not that different, really, to the England game. We no. come up with something impressive, and everyone's hailing you as, as this. The measurables are actually very similar in terms of possession, territory, tackles. You know, your missed tackles count is still quite low. Your turnovers are low, and you're turning wheels over more than you you've conceded turnovers. It's ninety five percent passion. I think it was ninety five percent of the tackle completion rate. Now it's unusual. I think, and I can't think of another time where someone's probably made ninety five percent of their tackles and lost the game. It, it was 95% and still score three tries. I know. <laughs> but, but if you th- I mean, if you watch, I mean, Squidge, Squidge's video on the England game is really interesting when we talk about Scotland's kick tennis and pinning the yeah. players back into the corners and making the back three run around a lot. Now, they didn't execute that at all well on Saturday because a lot of the kicks were going into the 22. So um, I think Lee Halfpenny called the mark on a couple of them. But the you know that they're, they're out by a fraction, so I don't know what it was. Just they didn't, they weren't quite kicking as well. But the kicking game definitely wasn't on. Now that might be down to Wales. It might be down that they they'd watched the England game and they were definitely covering the wings much better. I don't think there was as much space behind the Welsh back three as there was against England. So I think that's probably credit to Wales that they've seen what Scotland were going to do and they've prepared for it. I wonder as well if they were expecting this sort of Welsh defence that we've seen against Ireland and seen in, in large spells against Scotland, but they're up quickly. And especially at the moment with referees not bothering with offside lines, they, 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 like the Yeti, like I know they exist. <laughs> Obviously, they used it well early on with Ali Price's kick through for the, the try, which was absolutely fine. Dupont-esque, I called it. Like, was it looking up spots the gap and the, the kick is perfect. And I wonder if that's where they thought, well, we can find that space in behind because Wales are going to be up so quickly. And then, like you say, where the Wales have just adapted a little bit better and realised that at half-time. Um, Wales looked better when Lee Halfpenny went off. Yeah. I thought. I, I, that was going to be one of my questions for later on because Wales, I think, in our back division, I don't know who starts anyway because we look better as well when our half-backs changed. I thought Hardy and Sheed, you look more like pivot players. And then that back three, if you've got Josh Adams coming back in, they know that he's saved his gender party camp. <laughs> coming back in there, you've got Josh Adams, Liam Williams, Louis Sam, it seemed a bit more pivot like. And then I don't know, you go in the centre. I don't know 
like Willis Harahola, I thought looked absolutely superb when he came on. He didn't stop talking defensively. He, he there's one point where he's bossing tips and and Falatau around to tell him where he wants him around the rack, and he's screaming and pointing. And I said, it looks more like he's got like 48 caps than 48 hours in camp. <laughs> absolutely superb. So for Wales, like we've got a back division, and I think the one that finished, save for not having enough fit centres and a centre on the wing, the one that finished perhaps looked a bit more Pivac-esque as well and seemed to execute Pivac's plan a bit better. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I, I actually did when there was a question. Matthew Southcombe actually had a, quest, had, a, had a question on Twitter earlier on. I actually answered it about an hour before we started recording. So um, it was, who would you pick as, your, as the back line for the England game? And I, I've gone who I think, if everyone's fit, who I would go with. So if everyone's fit, I, I, I chose Halfpenny, Louis Rees-Samit, Foxy if he's fit at 13, Willis Alaholo at 12, George North at 11, Dan Bigger at 10, Gareth Davis at 9, Sheedy, Hardy and Josh Adams on the bench. Because I think Josh Adams needs to earn his, place, his starting place back, maybe 20 minutes against England in Cardiff and then maybe start in Rome. Um, that that's harsh on Liam Williams, but I think the big thing, the massive thing for me for how you choose that backline is depending on on who's going to be goal kicking, because if 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 although Sheedy's got a great record at club level, he didn't look good on Saturday. If half pennies there, you can probably get you can probably get away with of starting Sheedy because half penny can take the kicks. But I'd want I would want either one of bigger or half penny on there, especially against a, a game against England where you know kicks are going to be important. I don't think it's any surprise to anyone who knows me. Might I've got a bit of a love affair with Bristol, and so I've watched Sheedy quite. And he does have those games. Like generally, he's a pretty good quick kicker and he's pretty mm. solid. But he is prone to those games where even if he's kicking them, they don't quite look right. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those kickers who's like it can be sometimes a bit of an ugly kicker. Yeah, and they go in over, but you think it doesn't matter as long as they go over. It doesn't matter exactly. <laughs> But then sometimes he has one of those games, and he has one of those games. And whether that's nerves because he's thrown in with less than an hour gone, and you're playing a massive game on the back of a win. And I mean, bigger Adam Mayo missing the kick to touch half penny missed the conversion. So I, there was something weird with kicking on, <laughs> on Saturday. I don't know what. You scored every single Welsh try was scored after Lee Halfpenny went off the park and Willis Halaholo came on. Mm. So Halaholo was instrumental in quite a lot of them. Yeah. He's yeah, two over. He's got the setup for the, the Liam Williams try. He's, he's given the ball to, to Zamit for the, the chip through as well. He was superb. The question is then, would you start him? Pivac seems to like Johnny Williams. I think North will play 13 regardless. I think yeah. whoever, whoever is whoever is in the back line, Hallahola will start 12. I think you have to. It doesn't matter who else is there because you've got options for everything else. I think he has to start 12. But then, do you not think Alohol on the bench covers more? No, I think... Alohol on the bench to come on against the tired England that you just tried to chuck around, and then he covers 12, he covers 13. If you've got North to 13, that covers your wings. You've got your full-back covered. Personally, I, I don't think he'll start. But no, I, th- I, think, I think you're better off having someone like Josh Adams who could play the wing full-back, or if needed, be your 13, or even George North. If George North isn't, isn't spot-on, and you're going to start John, Jonathan Davis at 13, then maybe you have someone like North on the bench. I would start him at 11. I don't think Josh Adams should, should start yet, but we don't get paid to pick that, do we? 
No, but it's quite important to a podcast. If you want to on there, I, I think it'd be, I've not really paid the referee as well, but we've had a discussion about that. <laughs> I think Wales have been quite lucky in the pack as well. Our pack worked quite well because yeah. for all the talk of injuries and the fact we've gone through numerous sixes, the rest of our pack has been pretty settled. Like one, one, two, eight. I think other than that, six is pretty much who we would pick anyway. So we've been quite lucky on that front. Mm-hmm. Uh, any changes for for Scotland, Cami? Other than if Richie's back, you, 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 I mean, Richie will be bad. I'd be surprised if Richie's not back because I think it was just a it's, it's just a niggle. Um, it'd be interesting what they do at twelve. I thought James Lang had an all right game actually. Um, but the kind of twelve that he is, you could just swap him for Duncan Taylor or who who would do who offers a bit more, um, or even Sam Johnson. I think I'd, uh, Sam Johnson's not in camp at the minute. He's not played enough rugby. He's James Lang is fine. Do you know what I mean? He off, that's probably his best game he's had for Scotland, and it was a good game. I don't think he's. It's hard because where you compare him with Cameron Redpath, and you know, but it's you know that it's not often a player has that kind of debut or, or kind of burst on uh, the scene like that. I mean, you look at Chris Harris. Chris Harris's first few games for Scotland were atrocious. Mm. You know, he came on against Samoa and he let it ship to try. He had that first game against Wales. Where it was absolute. That was a honking game for most of Scotland, um, <laughs> but now he is—he's probably Scotland's best player, Chris Harris, defensively and in attack. Now he offered a lot in attack, a lot in carry at the weekend. Darcy Graham, I'd keep in now. I feel really bad for Darcy Graham because, yeah, on another day, the headlines are about Darcy Graham and not Louis Rees Samet, mm. and I think you know the headline writers will say, "Oh, look, you know." Uh, you know, Louis Rees Zamet for the Lions. I still think Darcy Graham's in with a chance because he offers a lot in defence, um, mm. and he's not given a lot of credit for that. Now the stats show, he, you know, he kind of—I think he, he attempted two tackles and missed two, but actually he he hit a couple of rooks, and he does he, he clears out rooks. Darcy Graham, he's like five foot two, and he's wet stocking feet, um, <laughs> and that you know the the fact that he broke uh, Lee Halfpenny. Even though Leaf Halfpenny took him in the air and then played on, it's just unbelievable. Um, and also, you know, there's been a kind of bit off off field with with Darcy recently, and and to come in the camp the way he has, and to you know put in performance like that, I really felt from having to go off. Now, I think it was the right call from a go off because you know sticking up the jumper and keeping the forwards. Ultimately, we we only lost by a point. I think we would have lost by more if we dropped a forward. I don't think much changes, to be honest, for Scotland. I think that's a fairly settled side. I think mm. that it would just be if, a, a matter of who's who's fit, whether or not we keep Xander Ferguson. Um, if it is just a one-match ban, which is probably an optimistic, um, then I think he'll come back in because he'll just use the Glasgow Ulster game as his ban. Um, but if it's longer, you're not going to see well, Willem Nell on the bench because he can only take about 20. I mean, he was probably absolutely devastated. He had to play 20 minutes, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> He's only in the team because he can play about 15. I mean, you know, he plays a really good 15 minutes and he comes on and he keeps the scrum going forward. But he's not playing 60 minutes, 60, 70 minutes of rugby, Willem Nell at his age. Um, so I don't, it'd be interesting to see who they bring in. I, can't, I don't know who, who we've got in the squad at the minute who's because quite a small squad with COVID and stuff. So I don't know who they'll bring in for Xander Ferguson. So it's. Uh... Bated breaths for Simon. I get my loose heads and my tight heads mixed up, and I get in trouble for it. <laughs> Don't know who we, I'm going to say. I'm going to say Jamie Batley or Simon Bergen, but but it always escapes me which side of the scrum everybody plays in. 
<laughs> I think I think to, I think Batty's a one, so I think it's Bergen. I think Batty's Bergen, a one. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. so. So you're probably looking at Bergen. Pierre Schumann qualifies and Pierre Schumann wonderfully because of the change of the rules of uh, residency um, and extended the three-year residency rules. Pierre Schumann qualifies in the summer, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> delighted. It's the one upside of coronavirus is that Pierre Schumann gets to qualify for Scotland two years earlier. <laughs> you get the um, the usual thinly veiled comments that we get. <laughs> players qualifying on residency. Um, hey, there's there's, there's a prospect he might end up playing. There's a prospect that he could actually qualify for Scotland, um, play for the Lions, and then get caught. Then then get called up for South Africa. I think there's like a window of one or two matches yes. where that could possibly happen. Because <laughs> I don't think you get you don't get captured if you played for the Lions. So if you get caught up on the Lions tour, play for the Lions, and then South Africa could say, "Do you fancy play for us next week?" And technically, you could. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> I did. I did see one on Twitter today, though. Someone asking if Stephen Varney could play for the Lions. I was like, no, that's clearly never going to happen. <laughs> well, I think we we possibly let one slip through our fingers in Varney because he played very well. Um, again, I don't want to badmouth him because I mentioned him on last week's podcast as well. But we call up Lloyd Williams. I definitely would have rather that Vardy have given the choice. Yeah. It feels like a massive step back. We didn't offer him a cap. But he's doing well for Italy. And obviously him and Garbisi have played together at age grade as well. So I don't know how much better the one is making the other look because they seem to have uh, a good understanding together. But yeah, he feels a little bit like the one who slipped through the net. Although I'm a big fan of Kieran Hardy and I'm sure a Scarlet's fan. He's one of those players where every time he came off the bench, you're like, right, we're going to do something. I, when he first came through, and like Gareth Davis being an international scrum off, you'd think it's going to be where they go, like Kieran Hardy's coming out, I guess. We can take something from this game if he comes on. So, um, Speaking of forwards as well, I was a bit panicky last week on our podcast and on Kami's about our line-out and the way that was going to go. Seemed to go quite well. Yeah, first the first one was a bit shaky, but apart from after that, it was it was pretty much level peg, and I think we nicked a couple of Scotland, ball, Scotland balls as well, didn't we? You did. I think the one thing I would caveat that but is that Blake Thompson went off early. Mm. I think we had him pegged as, as kind of the one to uh, challenge the Welsh line out. I don't know whether just he was doing the calls or whatever. So I, I think that's going to have had an impact on Scotland's line out going forward. They wouldn't have been expecting to make the change with Gary Graham that early. Having said that, like you said, you've got a couple of steals and, and Scotland should be able to adapt to those changes. Um but I would have thought that might have had, had an impact on how well the lineup went. It's strange to think that we went from 100% to whatever, what 80% or whatever it would have been within within the space of a week. But that could just be credit to that. You know, maybe the, that's all you've done in in the Welsh camp is just line out after line out after line out until it gets done. Well, I think this is the first week since the last Six Nations or the first like, consecutive games where we've gone in with the same hooker and same line-out options. I was reading yesterday, Wales, since last spring, so we're just looking at the autumn of that first game, have gone through four hookers and nine line-out options. So a bit unsettled. I know Pivak, when you look at the way he's treated that Autumn Nations Cup now, seemed to treat it as like an open trial, that he was just giving anyone a game and rotating players in and out. I said, I was like choosing a fucking Tekken character. <laughs> unless, they were, unless they were called Harry Randall. Well, I don't think Harry Randall was ever going to play for us, if I'm yeah. honest, anyway. I think he, he was 
going to be English the whole time, to be fair to him. But yeah, we seem to be a bit more settled, at least in the pack, than we were at the end of the autumn. Who have you got below? Who's who's kind of pushing Ken Owens then for, for that hooker spot? So obviously Elliot Dees is, was second choice, so he was on the bench on Saturday. Um, Ryan Elias is the third one in the squad. Um, you've got the likes of... I forget um, what's the guy's name. What's the guy's Sam, name? Sam Harry. Yeah, Sam Harry at the Ospreys. What's the other guy underneath him? Because he's class. Uh, the ones that converted. Is it Phillips? Isn't it? Certainly the last latter part of the Pro 14, and then going into the Christmas period, he started as a, as a hooker for the Ospreys quite a lot, and he, he played quite I well. Thinking, I was thinking of Dewey Lake, but it's not Dewey Lake. But although he he got a call up to the squad, mm. he's a converted blindside. Yeah, yeah. We can't throw, so. We've got enough problems. But, hey, all of our, all three Scotland hookers are converted back rows. And in fact, Ross, Ross Ford was a converted back row, but I think he converted when he was like 17, so it's not as bad. But yeah, all George Turner, Fraser Brown, Stuart McInerney were all back rowers mm-hmm. in professional rugby until they converted to hooker. So we went from having nobody but Ross Ford to, to having, well, now, now with George Turner getting a run, having three very good hookers. Well, and, and Cherry, I know Cherry's been late in this, but then he's essentially your fourth choice hooker coming off a bench, and he looks... He's 29. I mean, he's all right. He, I mean, you know, he helps see out the game. He, he does a job. It's good to know we've got that depth. I, I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be starting him every game, but he's, he's <laughs> certainly he's good enough. It's nice to get down to our fourth choice and still have someone you think, I'm really going to hold his own with international level. Yeah. Is it even Phillips that you were thinking of? That's right? the one, yeah. That's the one, even Phillips. An interesting one for me... And you might tell me I'm talking utter shit. But for Probably. me, you know, there's a direct comparison between Pivac and where we were last year and Townsend maybe on the year before. We're on the back of 2019 and the back of the World Cup. A lot of Scottish fans seem to be quite dissenting about Townsend and where he was taking you and whether you could actually be competitive. And then last year and this year, he seemed to click. Um, and yeah. Like I said, a loss on the weekend, but it's by no means a massively you've come off the rails. No, we can see. I can see where we're going. I can see what he's trying to do now. We we had a thing on our podcast, uh, last Six Nations, we call it the Tuesday clock. We were trying to work (laughs) out at what point to midnight is Gregor Townsend Scotland career was. Um, But it's, yeah, it's it's fine. It actually Wales now remind me more of, and I... This isn't meant as a, a kind of an insult at all, but it's it, it's Scotland under Andy Robinson just before Vern Cotter comes in. And that's not from a coaching point of view. I'm not comparing Pivak to, to Andy Robinson. It's more just the, the makeup of the squad. Mm. That you've got someone like Lewis Rees Samad is a bit like when it reminded me of when Stuart Hogg came in the Scotland squad as this young player and he was almost forced on them because of injuries. Um but the rest of the squad was was old. And you almost feel like Wales, you haven't, I think Pivak, I can see what Pivak's trying to do. What I worry for Wales is more about the personnel that you've got quite an old squad in places. You've got Alan Wynne-Jones. And it, I get that. No, it's, if not Alan Wynne-Jones, then who else? Alan Wynne-Jones is probably annoyed that he's still having to play every turn up every week. There's nobody ready to replace him. But I think where it's not just Gregor Townsend. I think we've got reasonable depth in Scotland um, and some of our players moving elsewhere is helping and I know there's the 60 cap rule in Wales and I know Gregor Townsend has said that he likes it when players stay but I do think that 
Like, for example, you know, Adam Hastings getting injured and having to move, and moving to Gloucester has forced Glasgow Warriors to pick a Scottish 10 running Ross Thompson. And he's played a blinder the couple of games he's had and he's signed a professional contract. Ember have all of a sudden had to stick a, a Scottish, young Scottish 10 in. And they weren't having to do that when they've got the person. So I, I don't know. I think we've, we've got a lot of depth now in Scotland. We've got a lot of very good play, young young players coming through. And so we're not so reliant on the same incumbents as we were maybe under kind of Andy Robinson. Scott Johnson, that's one good thing Scott Johnson actually does. He came in and he he kind of, he wouldn't play Kelly Brown and he wouldn't play these older players and, and blooded a lot of youngsters for Vern Cotter coming in. We did cut out John Barkley, so... He did for different know. reasons. I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> I did, the comparison for me is I'll be in the sort of towns and, especially in in the World Cup, tried that sort of idealistic way of how he felt yeah. he should play rugby, and he seems to have changed that a little bit to realise the flaws in that and adapt. And I think whether Pivac's been forced to do that, especially by getting Jenkins coming in and changing our defence a little bit. But he seems less set on this. We've got to throw the ball around with and go. Well, actually, if we can look a lot on defence and get a defence right and play from there, and we're winning games with not a lot of possession. Granted, with the opposition not having a lot of players on the pitch at the same time as us as well, but he just seems to have adapted that little bit, and it's worked for for Townsend. And I've said I think at some point it'll click with Pivac, and hopefully we're starting this year. We'll we'll know for definite in two weeks. I think the one thing I think that you've got to, got over Scotland is you've got hard players, and I don't think we had that. And one of the things that the Townsend said he did is he went and spoke to Jim Telfer after the World Cup. He probably just lives down the road from him and, and, and talked to him. And I think one of the thing feedback he got is the players were too soft in Scotland. They weren't didn't have that mental toughness. And it's quite hard, I think, when you you know we're talking. What does that mean in modern rugby compared to the amateur days of, of mm. mental mental toughness in the old days meant that you like to the detriment of your mental health. Like someone like Ian Milne, who played for Scotland back in the day, was one of the world's greatest props, but has suffered horrendously with mental health issues since. So what does it mean now to be a hard player and being mentally resilient, but also looking after yourself? And I think that's something that Scotland had I think they'd almost gone the other way that, you know, it's wonderful to look after players' mental health, but I don't think they'd necessarily done enough in building up mental resilience, which are two different things, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Jim Telford told them to go and work on. And, it, and it's, you know, it's it's hugely important when it comes to defence. You're defending a set, you, you're online for 10, 15 minutes at a time, phase after phase after phase. You, you need mental resilience. You need to be hard. And I think Wales are lucky in that you... I would say that a lot of your players are tough, they're hard players. So that were it's just then a case of drilling them and getting the, you know, getting the defensive patterns right and getting everyone on board with with the system. It's one of the things that I've got got down in my notes because one of the things that's been questions of Welsh players, and I've always argued that I think it's nonsense where people have are questioned that toughness and that commitment and that passion from players. I think two weeks in a row now. We've seen, first of all, in the 82nd minute, Tipperick or 83rd, or that was tracking back to make a tackle against the, the back in the island game. And then that tap tackle on Van der Merber, when he's completely Huzam, it slips and it, it looks like it's a surefire try. So I think that, uh, yeah, they, it, hopefully that silenced a bit of doubt. There. So it's funny you should say that, because one of the things I was going to, I was going to bring up about our mental toughness and whether, <laughs> especially you look at those sort of, our goal line defence again for a second week in a row where 
Scotland battered us and battered us. It was wave after wave of possession and attack and the, all the territory was yours. And yeah, we conceded tries and I mean, some of them were, were magical. So that old try, I know walking sort of the beat, it's the try comes from walking making the mistake because you don't know what Hogg is going to do. Mm. Like he's that kind of, I think if there's anyone else, he stands and he goes, right, I know where he's going. And you, you make that happen with Hogg, you know he can step up both feet, you know he can go, you know he's, he can create. And so it's kind of come from a little bit of Scotland have created that rather than it is a defensive error, but it's not as unforced as people think it is. Mm. So Scotland unlocked the defence rather than Wales being a bit. There was loads of missed tackles. I think 27 missed tackles from Wales. <sighs> but it's one of those ones where I know what Saracens they used to talk about. They don't care about missed tackles because it's about the defence being up in your face and you're going to miss tackles if you're bumping players into the position you want them in. Yeah. So whether that's it, and they say Scotland wants to when they, they opened up and you've got players like Van der Merwe, uh, Finn Russell, the offload before Van der Merwe breaks with Finn Russell, we've got four players on him because the offload is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, uh, Chris Harris is someone that always has missed tackles for Scotland, but he's like Scotland's best defensive mm-hmm. uh, in, in defence. But and it's just the attack, it's the defensive shape that Scotland have, and they throw that he's almost beyond the the attack line when he's trying to tackle, so players are past him. So counts as a missed tackle, but actually what he's done is he's he's kind of cut off the passing option and he's done a lot more work to 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 make things awkward and cut off the, those options. So I I think missed tackles are fine, but I don't think they tell the whole story. But Scott Johnson said some like, you know, statistics are like a bikini. <laughs> <laughs> they only tell you so much. <laughs> I I know that with the, the Saracens mentality of it, and I thought I want to you know perfectly pray the Saracens for anything if I can usually help it, but players <laughs> would sort of you'll miss that tackle because you're rushing the man back in field because you want to you want to bump him in a little bit or you you're willing to leave him beat you because the man inside's in a better position and then you've got a chance of winning that track and you put him in a position you want them in, and so that missed tackle isn't as bad as a missed tackle in a dangerous area of the field. And so by doing that blitz defence and coming up quickly, it's inevitably missing tackles, but it's missing them in the right areas. So How, that's, how is that defence working for Saracens this year? Not well against Ealing Trailfinders. Oh, OK, good. <laughs> I just wonder as well, Wally likes to talk about uh, Lions squads and Lions bolters and Lions players he thinks he'll come into the team. So two big defensive displays. Merlin as the Lions bolter. Melon, men's mm-hmm. coaching place, yeah. Sean Edwards in France. <laughs> no, I don't think Melon's going. I think I think Gregor will go though. I think it's an option of him being the attack coach. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if um, Farrell goes as defence coach, but I, I don't think I don't think Melon will go. I think Tandio goes defence coach. Yeah, it's a good show. Very good show. I think Steve Tandio goes defence coach. I don't think, I think the way that Ireland are at the minute, I think the fact that Tandy's come in and turned Scotland around so quickly as well is going to be in his favour because it was literally overnight Mm. that he was able to do that. And that's what Gatlin's going to want, right? He's going to want someone that can come into camp and, you know, drill drill a massive squad. And it might not be a massive squad because the coronavirus might have to cut it down. But going to be able to very quickly convey his ideas over mm-hmm. to a team, and I think Steve Tandy's obviously been able to do that really well with Scotland. So I would, de- I think he'll probably take. I think Townsend will go this time as attack coach. I think Tandy will go. I probably leave us a bit short-handed in Scotland, but just Danny Wilson will step back into it from Glasgow Warriors. You might even get Richard Cockrell at international level <laughs> helping out, which would be I don't know. I'd really love to see that. <laughs> Imagine if I had told you 20 years ago that Richard Cockrell would be in the, in the Scotland <laughs> setup. <laughs> you would have called me a madman. 
Um, the one, the one thing I just want to just touch on once Steph's mentioned that because we're going to have a Lions track is how many do you reckon will make it, Cami, as it stands at the minute from Scotland? Well, Scotland. Yeah. I don't, it's hard to tell because after two, I, I would say after last week, I would say a few. After this week, I don't know, but and I don't know what I, I don't know what it's hard to know because I don't know what Warren Gatlin's looking for in this tour. Yeah. And we watched the '97 Lions documentary for. Um, for our podcast over the summer when we had nothing else to talk about. And what's interesting is I think that offers a template for how the Lions should go to South Africa, and that's you don't play South Africa at their own game. I don't, we were talking about this um, on our podcast last week, weren't we? We said, you, you know, you don't necessarily want to go up there and, and, and try and compete muscle for muscle. I think Darcy Graham could be in there. I mean, you know, he's, he's up against Chelsea and Colby, so it's not like he's up against anybody particularly big. People say, well, he's not good under the high ball, but but he doesn't get stuck in the back three. They, they, they put him up in the defensive line because he makes his tackles. He doesn't have to be under competition for the high ball. Um, I think Chris Harris will definitely go. I think he's probably nailed on, actually, at the minute as a starting 13, the way he's been playing the last two games. Russell at 10, for me, I don't think there's any other options at all other than Russell at 10. I know for all his flakiness, um, I just think I don't know who else would go. You could say Johnny Sexton, but I think he's past it. Dan Bigger, I think, will be in the squad, but I don't think he's anywhere close to Russell. Um, Ali Price, I think, is probably looking at scrum half yeah. at the minute. I think Ali Price, and he's probably going to get you letters, I think Ali Price is as good as Antoine Dupont. I think the reason the reason that he doesn't make the headlines is because he's not being asked to do the same things that Antoine Dupont is asked to do. So the way that France plays, everything revolves around Dupont and he, he's there for the offloads. That's not what Ali Price has been asked to do. If Ali Price was being asked to kind of get off the back of offloads and cover that distance on the pitch, he'd do it. But he, but that's not the role mm. he's been given to do. But he's, you know, he's speed from the base of the rook. He's kicking over the top. Do you know, it's he's got the same skills. He's just not being asked to be as flashy. I, it's, I, we talked about... Uh, Ali Price as well last week, and I I coach mini rugby, and I was trying to teach our scrum half like how to approach what was, and technically, he's the most technically sound scrum half I can find. So I put a YouTube video together of just clips because he does everything right mm. every time, and he's technically fantastic. And he, I think he, I think you talked about where he sort of lost a bit of credit after having a bad game. Was that the Wales game? Did he come in another? Yeah, it was that Wales game. He really suffered after that because he lost a lot of. Um, he was. He just lost a lot of fitness. And I think again, he kind of kind of had a bit of a, a blip mentally as well, and kind of went away, sorted himself out, and kind of be a bit more honest about that coming into it. And he's maybe a bit more. He's happy. I think that's that's the body. He's a bit like Finn Russell. If he's happy, he plays really well. I, I says well, that sort of chance to step out the lead low shadow where lead low became a bit of a sort of a cult figure in Scotland. <laughs> On and off the pay is difficult then when you step in and people want to know sort of where Greg is. It's it's hard because I mean Greg laid loss from the borders, so automatically he's got buy-in, but you know Ali Price is from Kings Lynn in Norfolk. <laughs> <laughs> um, is George North from Kings Lynn as well? Is there a secret pocket of Celtic players from Kings Lynn that I we've never He might well be I've actually. never realized until now. <laughs> he might well be. <laughs> yeah. That starting 15 of Scotland, I think I'd be hard, aside from James Lang and Blade Thompson, I, I think that they're all in contention for the Lions. I think it's going to be how they respond now 
Yeah, they've had their big win against England. They've lost against Wales, but it's not a bad performance loss. It's not a well, they've they've shot their balls by going a week early and beating England. It was just one of those games. So it's how they respond. And I think like Gatlin's talked before about like sort of credit in the bank. Like you'll take those big players who've done it on a big stage who when they've been down, they've picked themselves back up or they've won a grand slam or they've been there and done it. And that's why you'll fall on players. I mean, spaces are going to open up as well when you've got people like Fucking Josh Adams going to gender reveal parties, the year of alliance to him being dropped from Wales, and now he doesn't know it. I think that's how they should do the Wales team. That's how they should decide on the back three. They shouldn't tell Josh Adams and have a big fucking confetti cannon <laughs> and he put a whale shirt in it or a like luminous yellow training top and then just fire it out and he can know whether he's playing against England or not. <laughs> so bake it into a cake. They could put that on Instagram as well, and then <laughs> It's got oh, bloody videos that last about three minutes at the start. Yeah. I do. That's it. Um, well, every every time that I've mentioned this stuff before, every time that there's a Lions tour, on, I always sort of have an interchangeable fifteen myself, Cammy, and I do it after every every game. Um, and as it stands, I'm after, going through fifteen now. Uh, I'm not going through it. I'm not going through it. But what I'm going to say is, currently in my interchangeable fifteen, there's six Scotland players in the fifteen. For if it was a first test, that's mm-hmm. why I, that as it stands now for me, I'm not. I'm not going to say obviously they're all going to make it at the end and they're all going to get picked, but I think if they if they if you have six eight on tour that'd be great. But currently I've got six of my fifteen. Yeah. Well, the anti Josh Adams then, who because um, Adams looked like he was going to start that left wing, and I think he might have blown it now, especially when Duan's playing as well as he is. Win Jones for Wales. Yeah. Has come from abs, but not from nowhere because he's been putting in those performances anyway. But the last two games has looked superb. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, could could he be our bolster? I think so. <laughs> well, we'll Definitely see. think so. I mean, he's he's still got Sutherland still playing incredibly well. You've still got Bakley, you've still got Genji, you still got big players. But Win Jones has been super. If you had to pick a player in that loose position from the first two games, he's been insanely good. Is it? I mean, is it, it my depends, team? It depends who he's yeah. got. I mean, I think the thing with Warren Gatland is it's going to depend who he takes his coaches. Yeah. Because that's how Scotland have suffered in the past. We've had no one in the room. And that, you know, last time around, that was our fault because Gregor Townsend chose not to go the time before. But it was our fault because we were rubbish. And <laughs> why would you take any of our coaches? Basically, take a Scott Johnson on alliance to which nobody wants. I'm sure Scott Johnson would want that. <laughs> but it depends whether Wales are going to get somebody in the room. And I suppose that's a big question for you. Is, is, is Warren Gatlin going to take someone from the Wales back room? Because what he's been, how long has he been out of the job now? Because he, you know, is he going to necessarily, he'll know some of these players, some of the older squad, but he's not going to necessarily be working with them week in, week out in the way that he was with Wales. So, yeah, two, 2019 he went, which I think was Windjones. Windjones was part of that. Yeah, Windjones played with I, th- I think Rob Evans, he dropped Rob Evans for him. As it stands now, I think of that Welsh backroom staff, potentially, potentially Bobby Stridgen, because he's, he's done, we've done the last few Lions tours. And potentially Neil Jenkins. I can't see anyone else going. I think they'll stay with Wales. So he'll have a voice there, but whether their voice are going to be loud enough for forwards, I suppose, it's a different matter, isn't it? The Rupert in the room, is that it? There's <laughs> <laughs> Patch on. Even Jones went to a World Cup with him as well, mind you. Got, got Wales to a semi final, so I wouldn't rule out. I would, I don't, he, he's not going to take him if he takes um, Townsend as backup. If Townsend even goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Move on, then we'll uh, we'll go to England, Italy. You had a little 
epiphany last week. The, the England selection last week and said that you thought the centres were unbalanced and you didn't get it and you didn't know why they picked them. Proved right? I think so, yeah. Because I think I think the, their performance at the weekend proved that I was spot on. Um, also, what Matt Dawson said basically is what I had said on the pod last week, so I think he's probably a listener. Um, <clears throat> if Matt I Dawson agrees, I'm going to say you're wrong. Well... <laughs> Probably the only thing I've ever agreed with Matt Dawson on, but no, I, I just think it, I took it. I took it part of it from what Robbie's video when he did the video about George George Ford being the ten, and I just don't think that the, the three of them fit as a 10, 12, 13. Um, and I think Baby Faz is not in form. I don't think if you if you were to pick fifteen informing England players now, he doesn't make fifteen. He doesn't make ten. He doesn't make twelve. I think as a balance for that back line, like like we like we mentioned the other day, Steph, or it might have even been earlier before we started recording, that England did quite well and looked quite attacking and scored a few tries at the weekend, but none of that was down to 10, down to twelve and thirteen. There was no there was no creativity. I don't think that was coming from that centre partnership that's cutting holes and making them score tries. I I'm going to say it. I'm, whether people listen to me as a Welshman or not, I, I don't think Farrell should be in that 15 anymore. Yes, he's harsh because he's captain. It's a similar, similar um, situation to Sexton at, at Ireland because I think giving him the captaincy, making him a 10 or making him the important player, I don't think he works for that squad. And I think going forward, it's not necessarily going to be the right thing for him to be there. And that could be a, an hindrance for the Lions if he was to be picked at 10 or 12, I think. There's some bold opinions this week. So dropping dropping Owen Farrell and Ali Price is as good as I'm going to do These are some big statements. <laughs> I was going to jump in on the Ali, Ali Price comment because he is my nine at the minute. Wait, we'll leave Warren Gatland alone a minute. Yeah, yeah what's, what's your view on it, Cammy? I mean, England just look at sea defensively. I don't think they really know what they're doing. Um, no, you, you watch that, you know, no, no, England shouldn't be shipping 18 points to Italy, even away from home. And they, they were soft tries as well. I don't, I know Italy played a little bit better, but, you know, it was, there was points where they were, you know, I think Marco Vinopolo was putting people in the right position. Owen Farrell was barking orders, but nobody seemed to be listening to him. They were running backwards at points defensively. I, I don't really understand what England are trying to do defensively. And I don't really get the impression that the players do either. And that's a massive problem. I think the other thing they suffer from, and I, I think... We're lucky in Wales and Scotland because we've got such a small player pool that you, you, you have to pick your best players and you don't have that option. I think Eddie Jones too often pit, treats England like a club team. He's got his core squad. And I think England have probably always done it because they have their permanent squad, don't they? They don't kind of call up a new squad every Six Nations. They have their, their England elite squad and people drop in and out of it. And I think because of that, they don't pick the best players. I'm not even sure that George Ford is the best 10 in England. And you've got Marcus Smith. I don't understand why he's not had much. I don't, has, he, has he had a cap yet for England, Marcus Smith? Or I think he's been, he may have been capped, but I don't like know. Probably started a Barbarians game or something, or been in yeah. a Barbarians game or something. But I don't, I don't get it with England. They don't think that, you know, I don't necessarily think they play their best 15 players. And I know partly you have to kind of work with the best 15 players that, that meet your system. But I think what Wales and Scotland are forced to do is you have to build a system around your best players. Mm. So I think England, yeah, I think it's, I'm I'm not really clear what England are doing at the minute. I don't really think they know either. That's my big thing as well. I said before this tournament started, 
the frame when it was just a case of continuing to do what they've been doing, just just tweaking it a little bit. And I think they've gone and tried to, it's like they've tried to change it, but I can't see what they're changing it to. Mm. I can't see what it's meant to be. They looked incredibly poor. I know they've scored a lot of points, but against a very young Italy, some of the, like, the, the Anthony Watson winter set breakaway try, it's not like they're creating those chances all the time. They look all, like, I'm not saying we're going to beat England and all that thing because I know they'll come back and bite me on the arse anyway if I did, but I'm not worried going into this England mm. game. Like, sometimes you're coming up against England where you're not firing 100% yourself and you think, oh, shit, they can put 60 points on us if we don't turn up. I'm not worried about England like that at all, which now means that they're going to absolutely put 60 points. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> they missed um, missed 25 tackles, was it? No, missed 15 tackles at the weekend, England, mm. which is, Joe, you know, against Italy. It's not, I think that their percentage was, was less than 90 for tackle completions as well. And like you say, you sort of, previously, if Italy has put that kind of points on England, it's been done in the last 20 minutes, last 15 minutes when the game's done and England sort of switch off a bit and Italy chuck it about and they run two tries in late on. Yeah, well, they started explosive but on the back foot. England are losing. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, are things this bad? And they, you never thought that, okay, they're going to hang on, they're going to, they're going to win this. But it didn't, it made England look poor at times in a not particularly fantastic Italian, a very young Italian team. And who knew England looked a better team without Ben Young's at Scrum Uh Nominated for Player of the Tournament 2020, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> he is the second best nine in the Six Nations. Yeah, shocking opinion that is. Yeah, I missed missed fifteen tackles, England. Yep, eighty five percent tackle completion rate. I think they they gave away seven penalties on the ground as well. Mm. It, it, it was a a shocking performance. On the other hand, uh, Marco Lazzaroni. I picked out for Italy as being absolutely superb. The the second row just didn't stop working, even to the point of when Anthony Watson intercepted that try and broke through. He chased him right back to under yeah. the post and did not let up. And then he was he played, I think he played the full eight. He was definitely only with sort of five, ten minutes to yeah. leave. He was absolutely immense for them. And he's exactly the kind of player that they need. I said last week that they just sort of needed someone to to give them grab a few players by the scruff of the neck. So if you're looking for someone to be a leader, Lazzaroni could be the one for them for the few mm-hmm. years. Excellent. And then perhaps the, the only big talking point of the England game, Johnny May's try. Set Twitter alight. Nigel's involved. Everyone's involved. We're Everyone's piling in. Nigel needs to stick to the cows. <laughs> <laughs> I... Um, I like Nigel. I've met Nigel. He's a good bloke. I know he takes a lot of shit. And obviously, he was sort of one of the best referees in the world when he was at his peak as well. But it did make me laugh when he went, No, it's against you. Can't do it. It's against the laws. Against the laws. Someone more laws anyone. I don't know. <laughs> I thought, oh, Nigel, man. It's one, of these, it's one of these laws that you look at, you watch it, and you go, You can't jump the tackler. And then you realize that they changed the law about 20 years ago. Yeah. It's so it's just dangerous play now. Dangerous it's... play, and for me, there's no dangerous play. No, what he does there, I guess. Sort of, if you're running at a player square on, and you jump over him, and you've got a chance of studying him in the face or kneeing him, 
breaking his face, then yeah, fair enough. But I don't think there's anything dangerous in that. And then you say, oh, you can you can dive for the line, but you can't jump for the line. Well, what's the difference between a dive and a jump? Is I'm it? sure. I'm sure. It might have been the Russia game. Someone has definitely jumped over. I've seen someone jump over a rook before and score. Yeah. In the last couple of years, I think the Scotland Russia game that might have happened. And then well, someone threw and then you can hurdle. But you, yeah. can't, you just use it's the same words. Like, <laughs> I, 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 we might have to. Has anyone got a number for Susie Dent? Because I think technical, like, kind of technical hurdle thing. So long as you lead with a leg and your back legs <laughs> bent slightly and <laughs> don't knock any and, over. And then a dive. So see, for me, a jump, you would land on your feet, and then a dive, you're gonna dive. fucking dive. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so for me. It's a try. It's a try because it's yeah. It's a try because it's allowed in the laws of the game because you're allowed to jump tackles. Yeah. So the noise is not dangerous. No, the only issue I've got with it is then if the Italian winger Esperandio is coming across, yeah. if he fucking smashes him and puts him in the first row, who are we giving a penalty to there? Are we giving a penalty to anyone? We just say him play on. Is it because he's then taking a man in the air? <laughs> This is why rugby laws are fucking stupid a lot of the time. I think so long as it depends how he smashes him. If he if he smashes him safely to the ground, he's fine. Because you're allowed well, to take players in the air as long as you safely return them to the ground. Yeah, and you're only in the air because you jumped in the air, it's your own fault. Yeah. But that doesn't work when you jump for a high ball. So I think I think if he's holding on to the ball, but I think if he's if he's jumping because he's holding on to the ball and he gets taken at waist height and he's and he's and he's and he's I'm, this is ridiculous. This is an audio podcast. I'm, I'm doing this thing in my hand. He's, 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 he's horizontal, vertical. If he's kind of like, you know, yeah. coming at the side, then I think he's as fine. As long as it would be a legal tackle if he was on his feet, we're happy to continue. If he was yeah, I think, I think that'd be illegal. I think if he caught him and smashed him at, at the waist and taken him off the pitch, I think he would have been fine. I think it would have been harsh to, to have given him anything. Otherwise, you, you're never going to stop anybody jumping for the line. And, it's completely at odds with everything I've said about rucks up until now. But I think it should be legal just purely for entertainment value because I want to see players go and try. I don't want to be English players if I can help it. Sorry for any of you English listening. I don't think I've, I've hidden my bias towards Wales very well in the past anyway. But I want to see players somersaulting over the line, jumping over a defender and scoring a try. It's just fucking this box office stuff. Why go on, show me the money. Go on, go full, to- <laughs> full Jerry Maguire now. Show me the money. <laughs> you're a showboat. Yeah, I, we talk about we can't get enough people to watch the game and how boring it, it can be at times. Yeah. And then we're complaining because someone jumped over a player to score a try. We should be celebrating. If that was a rugby league game, we would like they'd be showing our clip for fucking weeks to come. Rugby values. Rugby values. <laughs> hashtag. Rugby <laughs> values is hashtag rugby values is killing the game. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that's just about anything there was to talk about the England game. It's probably more than there actually was to talk about. Um, on to, to Sunday, France Island. All the promise, none of the delivery. Yeah, what a letdown! What an absolute letdown! Like it's for me, it started quite well. I thought, I thought Island, and we said this earlier, without actually creating anything, they looked a bit more as though they had an idea. So there was there was quicker ball from the forwards. Like um, Gibson Park was quicker on the ball. He was getting the ball to Burton's. But when it got to Burton's, it's like they have that issue with Sexton because Sexton doesn't pass past 10. Burns may have wanted to and the others just weren't expecting it. So there was nothing that really came. 
they they looked just flat. Like obviously, I think it flatters them that it got to fifteen thirteen as a final score. France weren't anywhere as near as near as they, as good as they were the week before. But I also don't think to use a phrase that was used quite a lot on our on our uh, group chat stuff. I don't think France even got into second gear, let alone anything else for this weekend. Yeah, I, I described Ireland's attack as all hat no cattle, which is now my favourite saying that I've learned. <laughs> it, 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 it's got so much there, but it, it kind of watching Ireland is like watching Andy Farrell play rugby union. Like it's strong and dependable and defensively you're not going to break it. But it doesn't offer you a hell of a lot of creativity and attack. And I, I, Ireland look brilliant going through phases. They look like you're going to get the ball. They look like you're going to do But they don't actually create anything. They try to come from a lineup that's misfired, gone wrong, and so plays completely broken. And it, nothing is a, a play, nothing's something creative. It's just shit. Mm. <laughs> and for all the, the shit that people gave Wales, and you know, I think that we weren't good in the autumn. I said at the time, Ireland were even more boring and fucking useless than we were in the Autumn Nations Cup, but it was a dirge to watch. And it's not got a hell of a lot better in attack. Yeah, I, I'm i not worried as much as I was about playing France and Ireland in the next yeah. couple of weeks. I don't, I get why everyone's excited about France because France have been a bit crap for a few years now and they've got a good nine and they've got a good, a couple of good young tens coming through and, and they've always had a good back line. But I don't, I, I don't buy it right now with France. I think, you know, they, they had that great first game, but it was against Italy. And I think at the minute I'm just I'm not I don't think you can read much into how teams play against Italy other than when like England they play badly. So <laughs> for me with with France at the minute I think that yes they've got some they they've probably got the best nine in the world right now um, but so have we. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah I don't know I, I think France you know France are beatable. I think they, you know, they their, their discipline is not great. I don't. Defense was was fantastic at the weekend. They, they're they're very dangerous in attack, but Scotland have got a very good defense. So I'm not again. It doesn't. I don't. I think that'll be a very close game. I'm not expecting to win it. I should say before Johnny McGinty gets upset at me and says I'm jinxing everything again. I don't necessarily <laughs> expect that we're going to win it, but I, I think it'll be a very close match. Mm. And I think it'll be the same with Ireland as well. I think the the. the it's going to be a close tournament, I think. I think it will be a lot of very close games in this. So, yeah. I think what what bodes well for Scotland as well is how well Ireland retained the ball. And having watched the way you've played your first two games and how solid you've looked at the breakdown and the way you've kept possession and kept territory, I think that should at least give you heart because then behind you are creative. You have got a Finland Brussels led attack coach by Andy Townsend as opposed to a Johnny Sexton-led attack coach by Andy Farrell. I know which side I'd rather be on. Yeah. I've already beaten England, so he's can't come back to bite me on <laughs> Plus, can I just add that if Scotland's attack is coached by Andy Townsend, I'd be concerned because it's Gregor. Let's see Andy Townsend. <laughs> I was thinking of Andy Farrell. <laughs> no wonder they're creative on the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Explains those kick passes as well. For <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, wow. 
obviously, I know that uh, we will have known that an ex Welsh international has obviously come up with Ireland's solution by picking Paddy Jackson at 10. So um, I know you, you fired a few shots back, Wall. Um, Absolutely, I did. <laughs> I, I just I, I just don't don't understand it, to be honest, because there's lots of reasons why he can't play for Ireland. Nothing to do with whatever has supposedly or not supposedly happened previously. The reason why he can't play for Ireland is he currently plays in England and they don't pick any players that are not playing in Ireland. So that's one massive reason. Whether, whether he plays for London Irish or not, it doesn't count. It's not in Ireland. Um, there are other reasons, as I said in my tweet, that a lot of genuine Irish people probably wouldn't want him to play. So, uh, and plus, I don't think he's what, what would be what would he be in the in the rankings? Fifth, sixth, maybe. You're probably looking at someone like Ben Healy played at ten before uh, before him, surely. Yeah, they only got plenty of tens. They don't need to be going. It's the it's a standard thing with ex pros is they just go with an, they always go with a named player. And I think it's just missed on this particular occasion. It's it's very misjudged to name that particular player, given the reason why he left Ireland and went mm-hmm. to play rugby elsewhere. And I think given the things that came out about that and elsewhere, um, I don't want to get you sued. So I'll <laughs> carefully choose my words. Um, but yeah, it's not, I don't think it's something that the IRFU would no. Would would stomach or want to stomach, and I don't think he's even. I I'm not even sure he's fifth or sixth. There's so many, there's so many good young tens in Ireland right now. I mean, I'm not even sure why they're persistent with Johnny Sexton. To be honest, no. <laughs> That's it. Um, I I think uh, regardless of any verdicts that happened on the back of court cases, it opens up a box that people won't firmly fucking nailed shut. Yeah. Like, They've had that case and the fall of the way, and then obviously him coming back into the game caused enough problems. I think for the RFU, especially given everything that happened with Rory Best on the back of that court case, don't really want to be praising no. Pandora's box back open to let that fucking cat out of the bag to use more cliches than your typical <laughs> ITV journalist has used this weekend. But- so to sum that whole thing up, Andy Powell. You're a wanker. Well, <laughs> I know a few people who know Andy Powell. He's actually been a really decent, really good guy. I know he's got this sort of reputation in the press. I know a few people who, who will generally vote for him being a, a quality guy, a really good guy. But as Kami said, it's that's massively misjudged yeah. in the released. Yeah, you got to feel. I mean, you feel for people that that like the proper pundits, not like us kind of people that do podcasts in our spare time. But like, you, you've got to be constantly be making the headlines and yeah. and getting the likes and the retweets and the engagements um good and bad and i don't necessarily think that the people that employ them are bothered about whether it's good or bad i just all they're bothered about is traffic a lot of mm. the time so there's this constant competition we do i interviewed john Beatty, the bbc squad former scotland um not johnny the, his dad yeah um a while back and he said the reason he went into commentary rather than being a pundit is because he got fed up with the competition he said everyone's constantly fighting to make the better point um, and to be controversial and say something that's going to get engagement. Even And he was doing it back in the 90s, and that was the case. And Rory, again, we interviewed Rory Lawson. He was saying the thing. He shifted to commentary for the same reason. As you just said, there's you, you, always a crop of young guys coming through. And so someone like Jiffy, when he's there because he's got a, you know, he's got a reputation, 
But the only reason he stays there is because he he will say he'll get the engagement. The only reason John Inverdale's still in the job is because he annoys and frustrates people and people they'll look at the measurements and go, oh, loads of people mentioned John Inverdale this weekend. And they won't look at what people are actually saying about John Inverdale, but they'll be like, oh, well, he's he's obviously getting engagement. Let's keep him employed. So someone like Andy Powell coming out with something like that, you wonder how much of it is, if I say that, it's going to get, I know no one else is saying that, I'll say it. And it's, it'll, people will want to come back to me as a pundit and employ me. And I think it, it's misjudged, but it, but it's it's worked for him. I wonder if you'd say you over estimating Andy Powell's intelligence as well. <laughs> it is the sort of the old Howard Stern argument with the, the listeners where it was, you know, the, the poll that comes back and they're like... Now, the night that he was, he drove that golf cart up the up the motorway, my brother was in a nightclub with him that night. My brother walked up to Gore and Gatland in that nightclub and told them they were lucky. So I think, I'm, I'm, I still say to my brother, it's his fault that Andy Powell ended up in that golf cart. <laughs> well, it- See, the, the old I would say that was the um, people who liked him were listening and they're like, why'd you listen? Well, I want to hear what he says next. And they say, well, 50, 55% of the audience hates you. And he's like, well, if they hate me, why do they listen? It's because you want to see what you say next. Yeah. And so I, it was like, <laughs> I think I saw a lot of them do sort of get away with. The, the job we see now is sort of him, Mark Ring and uh, Lee Jarvis seem to be the biggest one and no one seems to be fucking employing them for their opinions anyway no. like they're all coaching lower level rugby teams are, are they trying to get a gig what, what are they fed but, up okay, I suppose it keeps them relevant for the after dinner gigs I guess that uh, they, they get in you know then Wales Online pick it up Andy Powell says this you know this player Paddy Jackson should be picked for Ireland and it's you know it's it's a new story suddenly and then oh Andy Powell I know him and then you know, he suddenly gets a gig at after dinner speaking circuits on at the clubs, and which and, is and probably very lucrative for him. Especially this year, because it was obviously twelve years ago he was on that Lions tour to South Africa, wasn't it? So it'll be another. Yep. He, he'd be looking for that in the summer to try and make make a, make a few quid, like you said. That's it. You'd be on the, all the the big Lions dinners, stuff like that. And if if you're current and your name's about, someone thinks oh, I'll give him a ring, see if he's free to come and have a free get free meal, few hundred few hundred quid. Or as uh, John Bentley did with ours. Uh, sleep in your car the night before. <laughs> Turn up and give apparently the shittest captain dinner speech I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> sorry, well, I think I, I've I've trampled on yours a bit um, by bringing up the pipe, but we'll we'll move on to this week's winners and wankers. Yeah, I was so, going to say I was going to say speaking of wankers, Andy Powell was mine. So uh, who's yours? <laughs> um, I've gone for Willis Hollow Hollow haters, um, yep. all the dickheads who came out the week before. And did the whole, like, it, it's nice and simple. Does he consider himself Welsh? Yes. Then he's Welsh. Yeah. Or he's not Welsh. And then if he's good enough to play and he's eligible to play, shut the fuck up and support him. So get fucked. So all those people who sent shitty messages after he was announced to be called up to the squad and wore away to silence him by having an absolutely superb performance coming off a bench. And he was brilliant and literally changed the game created tries one opportunities, defended superbly, talked all the way throughout. So, yeah, fuck the Willis at all as they're my wankers of the week. Uh, you, Cammy? Um, I'm going to say this on your podcast rather than mine, because I think it'll get picked up on mine by the person who I think is a wanker. Um, I made a, I set a tweet out afterwards saying, anybody who says we'll learn from this can get in the sea. And what I meant by that is that, I just, I just think for Scotland have been here too many times with the heartbreak and the, 
you know, making the wrong decisions at the wrong time and being ahead and not putting teams away. And that's, that's what I meant is that, you know, there's a point at which you can't learn it anymore. You know, it. you just need to do it and get on with it rather than learning lessons. So that was the point I was making tongue in cheek. Now, some guy replied and said, well, he didn't, he quote tweet, tweeted me. Now, this guy's quite prominent. He's an estate agent and he's also the, the, the host of the official Ember rugby podcast. <laughs> And he was like, and he, he also has his own podcast, which is kind of, it's called Get Afterish. And it's all about being positive. And if you just believe in yourself, you can be anything. And he was saying, I don't think, you know, they, the, the one minute they're riding on the coattails of the car, cut of cups. Why don't you get behind the lads and just positive men? I, I will, I will get in the sea any day of the week for people that are willing to learn from mistakes. And I, it just it, it bugged me. He then sent me a video of him jumping in the sea later on, which was an absolute psycho move. Right. But I think the thing that bothers me is it's it's that kind of it's that mentality right now. I'm I buy into the whole learning lesson stuff. Um, um, Scotland work with a guy called I'm going to forget his name now. He's one of the big kind of uh, sports psychologists. It's based in Manchester. I can't remember his name now, and it's going to really bug me now. Um. But he's really impressive in the stuff that he does. I've read his books, really, and, and I buy into that lesson learning thing 100%. But it, it's hollow when it comes from someone from a public school background. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, it's, you, 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 can, you can afford to fail because you've got someone there to catch you. So I, 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 I get it. I completely buy in that people can learn lessons and move on. But I think when you, you know, you're posting blogs saying I've lost 12 grand on a business, but I learned from it, I moved on. There's not many people can, can fail with a 12 grand business and bounce back and set up their own company. So that bothered me that the, the, the whole response to it is let's just get behind the lads. Let's do it. Let's learn lessons that they'll bounce back from this is like, yeah, but you know, not everybody can just bounce back at it back. Not everybody can get through life with the power of positive thinking. Some people do have to strive quite hard for stuff as well. Very Alan Partridge. Is it uh, D- Damien Hughes? Is that the... Damien Hughes, that's who I'm thinking about. I'm concerned you're causing uh, Scottish rugby fans to go full Reggie Perrin and just... <laughs> to the sea after games. <laughs> yeah, massively. Imp- I'm very impressed with Damien Hughes. I recommend any of his books. They're all absolutely spot. It's all full of sports anecdotes, and it, and he's really interesting himself because his dad was a boxing coach in Manchester, and I think he was, you know, he, he kind of went down one path with his career, and then he's kind of retaught himself to be like a sports psychologist and going back in education, and he's works with a lot of um, sports teams now. Um, so yeah, massively recommend anything that he's written in terms of that kind of learning lessons and stuff. But I don't know, I just. People that then spout it and are evangelical about it really bother me, though. <laughs> yeah, and there was that um, the one that all the the Premiership players and a lot of the Bristol players were following. It's really weird. It's got like a uh, Project Mayhem style name, uh, something for men that I, I after Sinclair got suspended for telling the ref to fuck off, he put a tweet and he tagged it in there, and I remember sending it to the group with like. This is really Project Mayhem stuff, and that is just bizarre. Like it's almost cult-like. It is, yeah, 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 hundred percent. It gets really culty, and then you go down these weird kind of. All of a sudden, it gets like linked to holistic medicine and stuff. And yeah. if you've got to be very careful, it's like you kind of got to kind of like accept it for what it is. Like with some of the books and stuff, but but don't keep digging. Don't go into the YouTube videos <laughs> behind it because it's a really slippery slope. All of a sudden, you're worried about five G reading your brain. 
that's what's happening in Exeter, obviously. <laughs> I think the rugby players, it must all be CBD oil and coffee because that's what all of them do. One, one, one minute you've got a sports psychologist, in the next minute everyone's walking around in tinfoil hats. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then moving on to our, to our winners this week. Uh, my winner came from today where I had a few in there and I'm just going to go down to uh, Quinns have launched the first LGBTQ uh, fan it's the first one a professional rugby team has had first fan so that's my winner for this week I'm not even going to bring up anyone else for playing well or commenting or coaching that was that was my winner for it uh, Darcy Graham I know I've talked about it already but I just had him written down because um, you know the, just to, to just he hasn't played much rugby recently and to come in and, and have a game like that and, and I really felt from I understand why he came off I think it was the right decision Bush he he was on to a man of the match performance there. He was on to kind of having all the headlines written about him with that try and some of his work. So he's, he's my winner this week. We Darcy, bless him. And your one to round us off? I'm going to say what, something. Take a wind up for this one. <laughs> no, it is, it is. I'm going to say something that I didn't think I was going to say in the autumn. I'm going to say Wayne Payback. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because. Because although although it's still not there, it's a lot more there than I thought it was going to be in the autumn. Uh, there's definitely been progression. Um, we may have been, and I said this earlier on in the pod, only just beaten two teams with 14 men. But I think the fact that we've even beaten them, because in the autumn we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have even tried to come back. We wouldn't have had, a, we wouldn't have had a look in. So yeah, for this week, it's Wayne Pivak. I'm broken him. I'm broken him. <laughs> it's all going to end in, in Wayne Pivak being your, your winner of the old tournament and your Lions team having Ryan Elias at okay. That will never fucking happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that note, we'll uh, we'll draw it to a close. So thanks for your Ashkami. Brilliant. Oh, cheers. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you all for, for yours and, and Bowling me over with your final win. I didn't see that one coming at all. I had two written down. My other one is the one that you nicked, so I had to put a few out in there in the end. <laughs> Cheers, both. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Thanks. You've been listening to Rock and Roll in association with health and adversity, tackling mental health together. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.